0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast, created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthew.3cr.org.au. G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, the only national program focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR and the Community Radio Network, with the support of the Community Radio Foundation on the Stolen Lands of the Kulin Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging. It could be agreed that the recent Federal Budget was a great opportunity to improve the lives and future prospects of millions of Australians. The Morrison government followed its usual tactic of using commercial advertising spin to push a new slogan, Job Maker, targeting youth unemployment. Today we hear some reactions to the job maker announcements following a look at why TAFE, which missed out on budget night, is critical for Australian jobs and future. But first, some union news. <laughs> A young construction apprentice, 23, was killed last week at a lend-lease site at Curtin University in Perth when a glass and steel roof structure collapsed, killing one worker, critically injuring two others. A rally calling for action on workers' safety was called for 12pm Tuesday 20th at Parliament House in Perth by the CFMEU, calling on every Western Australian to stand with them to protect the lives, safety and dignity of workers. Here was a message released by Mick Buchan, Western Australian CFMEU Secretary, a day after the tragedy.
1: G'day guys, it's a, it's a very sombering day today. Um, listen, this message primarily is going to replace our monthly meeting report uh, that we pre-recorded yesterday. It's just not appropriate to sort of run that out today, given the circumstances of this tragic fatality that we had on site at Curtin University yesterday. This morning we've had a, uh, a mass meeting with all the site workers at Probuild, um, and uh, and they've left the site uh, for today, and uh, and more than likely the remainder of the week. Uh, the feeling is numb. Uh, we're seeing these buildings, you know, in in our opinion that are being under-designed. Something's got to change. Something's got to give around procurement, um, around uh, around engineering and design registration. Um, to ensure that shortcut's untaken. You know, we're sick of seeing Y16 bars in a concrete slab being replaced with Y12s. You know, we're sick of seeing slabs being reduced from 140 mil thick to 100 mil thick, uh, just on zero tolerances, where they say we can we can live with 40 mil deflection, we can live with 50 mil deflection. It is bull, its booked it has got to change. You know, we're speaking to some people today on site, uh, that are letting us know this, this information now on jobs that they're on. Not just the Curtin job, but other jobs in the city and around the place where they're saying that they hear off engineers when they raise concerns, it's OK, we've had it redesigned, it can take these tolerances. Bullshit. It needs to change. We'll be insisting an urgent meeting with the Minister to come out and put some roundtable, some forum together where where unions, builders and like-minded thinking engineers... Uh, the steel institute and others can get together and say enough is enough we need to see the building commission take responsibility and do their job and ensure that these jobs are built to an australian standard above an australian standard uh, than rather taking shortcuts and getting engineers sign off projects that are below an acceptable standard thoughts and condolences to the family um, of, uh, of the young man whose life was tragically taken but I can tell you, every worker, uh, everyone will be affected for this for the remainder of their working life. How can we expect newcomers to come into the industry where we're seeing a pattern of this behaviour on under and serious workplace accidents? And the worst-case scenario yesterday, a fatality and, a, and, and serious injuries occurred on site. At the end of the day, this is all about money. Gouging money from the top down, from the engineers, from the design the design standards. We've got to see an end to it. It's time to act. Wake up building commission. Wake up governments from around Australia. Sort this out once and for all.
0: During COVID, the Federal Liberal National Party has been running meetings with the Australian Council of Trade Unions, the ACTU, and employer groups, including the Australian Industry Group, the Master Builders Association, the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry and the Australian Mines and Metal Association. The employer groups, backed by the Attorney-General, Christian Porter, are looking for more casualisation cuts in wages and conditions, including the removal of the better overall boot test. Many employers are primarily concerned with reducing wages, increasing their flexibility in hiring and firing workers and increasing control over the allocation of work. Australian Council of Trade Union Secretary Sally McManus has stepped out and warned of concerning signs and of being on high alert. Recently, the ACTU made a concession at the talks that bosses who inadvertently underpay their workers and then discover the error would be able to pay them back without penalty or legal process. However, Josh Cullinan, Secretary of the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union, which is not part of the ACTU, said he found the concession bewildering, saying it merely represented the status quo and was unlikely to provide an enticement for employers to make faster back payments every week we deal with underpayments some of it deliberate some of it not and of the vast majority of it gets resolved by the wages being paid and there is no litigation against the employer but it's happening because there is a penalty regime he said A case in point, RAFU reports that Big W workers were paid this week the paltry 1.75% wage increase owed them from July, but head office announced they will sit on the $20 million stolen from Woolworths supermarket workers for a further two weeks until the 26th of October. They were ready to implement increases in 10 days in June but tried to argue it wasn't owed until February. When caught out stealing wages, they then delay for 120 days, all the while earning income on the wages they stole from workers. As the union said, simple wage theft and it's time it was stopped. The wages theft scandal at universities, where a recent survey revealed 78% of respondents claimed one form of underpayment or other, has reached University JMC, a private city university specialising in the creative industries. The National Tertiary Education Union, the NTEU, is supporting the claims of four JMC Academic staff members in a federal court action accusing the university of sham contracting with claims for back pay and penalty requests, in some cases going back 18 years. All employees. Involved in the lawsuit were hired as independent contractors, an employment agreement where employees are engaged as contractors and treated as an independent business, leaving them without superannuation, no sickness insurance, workers' compensation, or leave. You're listening to Stick Together, worker stories and union news, broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. We are looking at the job creation policies that the Federal Government announced at the Federal Budget, the Job Maker Plan. First, we'll hear from Ali Pennington, senior economist at The Future of Work, who explains what it is and Then Matt Goodenough for a view on the best bang for buck when it comes to jobs creation. Matt is an economist for the Australia Institute. Well,
2: to to start off with, JobMaker has just been this um, blobby beast that anything that that government wants to say is about creating jobs, they just throw it under the JobMaker banner. So from the budget, we now know that JobMaker includes the income tax cuts. So it's just they've just thrown everything under the banner of job maker, um, but the the major jobs creation program that they've um, hung their hat on is uh, a credit to employers who employ young unemployed people on Job Seeker, um, and there are two rates there is uh, one rate for people um, between 16 and 30 years old, and it's paid to employers of $200 um, a fortnight, I believe, um, or uh, $100 a week for people over 30 years old. And, and I think they must work up to 20 hours a week. So this uh, program is supposedly going to cover 450,000 young people, uh, and you know there are huge questions and huge problems with this because it's not clear if it's going to be administered within the welfare system and therefore not be um, extended basic labour rights to the ability to be paid the right wage, uh, to collectively bargain to improve your wage, uh, to be extended work health safety um, requirements, Um, or if it's going to happen, you know, in in the welfare system. So there are some key issues with this program is uh, it only runs for 12 months, the subsidy. So uh, what I think will happen is that employers will take on these subsidised, public subsidised cheaper workers, uh, sack them after one year, because that's when the subsidy ends. they will either use um, use the program in those kind of low-skill, low-wage sectors, particularly places like agriculture. And we've, we've seen the, the fruit growers all through the news saying, we've got this shortage of labour supply, um, which which of course they could raise their wages and provide incentives for people to travel out to the regions. But um, these sorts of programs, I see fixed, fitting in with like the undersupply of migrant, cheap migrant labour, um, as well as the possibility that the program actually leads to employers uh, sacking existing workers and replacing them with these um, these cheaper you know state supported ones. So this is um, I have huge alarm bells are ringing on this this 450,000 jobs program especially because it's been it's been pitched as the answer to the youth jobs crisis um, which is you know offensive. Um, The other major component of um, This program is the 100,000 apprenticeships. This is under job trainer 100,000 apprenticeships uh, That will be funded 50% of their wage will be funded by government to employers and that's 100,000 in addition to the 180,000 they extended the subsidy to in March. Um, Again, I call BS on this because actually in from 2012 to before the crisis, we lost 200,000 apprentices and trainees uh, traineeships in our, our skills pipeline. And that's a lot to do with the the um, defunding of TAFE, which is the main provider of apprenticeships, as well as the fact there's no work for these people to do. So I, I think that this 100,000 apprenticeships call is also going to be um, is a furphy. I think these people need somewhere to study, there's no funding for the TAFE system, so they actually have somewhere to do their formal studies, and there's not necessarily clearly any work for them to do long term, um, because government hasn't committed to those long term, sustained investments, um, you know, either in infrastructure or in our social infrastructure that would uh, allow, that um, allow employers to to you know take that risk and invest in recruiting someone and training them long term. So, it's it's what's the, the the elephant in the room here is that what we needed proportionate to this crisis was direct job creation from government in the public sector. And they are at pains to convince us that only the private sector can do this. Um, and these two programs, I think, really reflect um, the, the weakness of that uh, perspective and um, how, how short it's gonna fall in, in meeting our jobs crisis.
3: We, we found that 160,000 more jobs would be created if we gave that money to employment-intensive industries directly. That is, the government directly spent in and invested in things like aged care, invested in universities, invested in childcare. Then you get so many more jobs, 160,000. And if we use our jobs figure, um, it's almost 200,000 more jobs um, would have we would have got almost 200,000 more jobs if we invested in these sectors rather than handing them out in in tax cuts.
0: And, and that just highlights how awful. Uh, tax cuts are at creating jobs and stimulating the economy. You're listening to Stick Together, worker stories, union news and social justice issues. We are looking at JobMaker, the Morrison Government's key job creation mechanism in the recent federal budget. We will now hear responses to the plan from participants from the Living Income for Everyone post-budget webinar. First is Cass, an unemployed young woman who is part of the Tomorrow Movement. She is followed by Catherine Wilkes from the No Cashless Debit Card campaign and then Alistair Walters, a senior organiser for the CPSU.
4: Maker, it just it, it's not something that excites me at all. It's um, It makes me worried more than it makes me feel like we've got more opportunities to work. I... It's a business subsidy, not a job plan. I don't know where these jobs are coming from, but what jobs are going to be created. People in JobSeeker are still experiencing a terrifying financial cliff at the end of this year without creation of real good jobs out in the community and without surety that we won't be punished for being on JobSeeker after Christmas. Okay, so with regard to the budget, They've um, decided to scrap the Northern Territory, Cape York transition bill in 2019, and they're going to be reintroducing a new bill. The the word trial is now removed. All regions will be ongoing with no end date, permanent, including Northern Territory and Cape York. So, in regards to further issues with budget, uh, when we consider that Hengwa region is the third highest for homelessness in this country, In the last 12 months, with Hindu also impacting on people being made homeless. I met a lady today whose family is homeless thanks to not being able to pay their rent. Their real estate didn't take the card and her payments bounced back and she got evicted. I've got lots of families in that problem. So $41 million cuts to housing, right? No funding for federal homelessness services whatsoever. In card regions, People are being deemed at risk of homelessness because of the Indu card, you know what I mean? So the budget for the card so far is over $250 million. However, if you look at the thing in the budget, it says NFP, uh, not for publication. It's all hidden money. Uh, They haven't um, disclosed anything since 2015. They throw some figures out of 50 million or 70 million, but they won't tell you what it's actually going to cost. Al Ghoulie and Hinkler trials um, have been under commercial and confidence all the way through. So Doug Cameron said in 2018 in the Senate there was no legal basis to keep these costs hidden. There is no legal basis for them to hide these costs. They just don't want the public to know how much this is costing. Considering Basics Card has cost $1.9 billion so far in 13 years, and then you're sticking in $250 million plus. So in regards to this job-maker plan, right, of um, basically, from my perspective, it's get rid of everybody over 35, employ under 35s, give them 20 hours a week and the, the bosses get half pay or whatever. But what about all these workers that will be on the cashless debit card? So we've got a situation at the moment, most of the Coles and all these casuals and most of the hospitality staff that are in the card regions, Right, are working, but they don't get enough hours to get on money, So they're on the cash debit card. I think the unions need to really start looking at this because this is gonna be a major problem, right? Um, because it's just not fair. See, in Henckler it's under thirty six, but the rest of the country it's up to age sixty seven. Right? Um, you know, so one of the things this budget's been designed to put women back to the nineteen fifties.
5: This budget is a another step in a very long line of appalling decisions from this government um, aimed at hurting working and non-working poor people. It's very deliberate that all of the decisions that they've been making do not support creating well-paying, secure jobs, because since Abbott was elected in 2013, this government has been doing everything it can to drive down wages and increase insecure employment. We've been delving into some of the um, uh, the public sector numbers in the budget something that's left out at us was services australia has been provided with 850 million dollars for additional workers to help with the uh, massive increase in job seeker payments and claims that have occurred over the course of this year because the government imposes an artificial cap on direct employment less than 50 million of that money will actually go to people who are employed by the government over $800 million of that additional money is going to multinational labour hire providers and outsourced call centre providers. Many of whom are paying absolutely no tax in this country whatsoever. It is costing the government more for a worker through that those organisations. The worker is being, paid, is being paid less money and is in insecure employment. And the difference is being peeled off by the owners of the, those labour hire companies and those um, outsourced call center providers um, and it's certainly in the cases of organizations like Stella um, being funded through um and serco being funded through tax havens so that they're paying virtually no tax in australia at all one of the things that's absolutely critical is recognizing that a critical part of community campaigning is improving awareness that there is an alternative that we can have a community led economy where we make things fairer and that makes it better for everybody in the community and will actually improve the economy as well. CPSU is campaigning in the community both for permanent jobs and to get fairer outcomes for low income workers and people uh, who are unwaged and require government support. We need to be very systematically communicating with those people that we know in our families, in our communities, spreading the education that we get from people like Alison Pennington, and building up that awareness of just what a um, deliberate and destructive path it is that this government is trying to take the country down.
0: You're listening to Stick Together, worker stories, union news and social justice issues. Since the government's announcements, that a whole bevy of new apprenticeships would come out of JobMaker, it was surprising that TAFE missed out at budget time. The Centre of Future Work recently released a report on the economic outcomes from the TAFE sector. Here is a short outline of what they found.
2: This research uh, quantifies, it takes a multidimensional approach at quantifying all the different economic benefits of TAFE because it's, this period we're in now has been an aberration. That house that TAFE built is is still there And despite an underfunding, we find that it generates a massive uh, ongoing dividend to the Australian economy. The three main streams of economic benefits that we look into are looking at TAFE, like an industry which um, employs 30,000 people but then has major other more employment impacts because there are people in the supply chain who work in businesses that supply TAFE, People who leave TAFE, they leave with a higher level of skill and employability, and they move into the workforce and get higher earnings. And businesses also benefit from from those skilled workers. And because TAFE makes uh, people more employable, it means that they're healthier. And so we find that there's uh, significant uh, reductions in fiscal expenditures on, on welfare and healthcare because of TAFE too. So over $6 billion is created in the economic activity of TAFE by itself, as it were, an industry in itself. So that's, that is comprised of $3 billion of value added of GDP, um, but an additional $1.6 billion from all of the purchases and inputs of all of the different sectors that supply to the TAFE supply chain. And so it's almost 50,000 jobs that the TAFE system is supporting right now we identify that TAFE grads enter the labour force with better employment prospects and better skills than those who don't have uh, VET qualifications. So if you have a TAFE qualification, you earn 39% higher than 39% more than those who don't. Um, and it's almost $20,000 more in uh, your back pocket each year. And the total annual benefit of, for all the TAFE educated workforce is 49 billion. And then benefit, uh, the business benefits from those superior TAFE school producti- uh, productive workforce too. And we estimate that uh, the productivity benefits in high profits to businesses at $35.6 billion. Governments, of course, do better too, because more people earning more means they pay more tax. $25 billion is what we estimate is what governments get back into their coffers through the TAFE system um, every year. And that's over four times more than the actual costs of the TAFE system itself. Um, TAFE also is extending to parts of the country that aren't well served by the private training market because it's not profitable to extend quality vocational education, some of it very capital intensive, into regional areas. TAFE students are more likely to be low income, they're more likely to be Aboriginal and have a disability. The costs, though, are very modest, right? We we find that it's only 5.7 billion dollars per year. And that's what it cost in 2018, and that's that represents only 0.3 percent of GDP. And so that's the summary of our total impact. That's the direct activity of TAFE as as it we're a producer, the higher earnings of TAFE graduates, and the more um, the higher productivity they generate, and the savings to government. And we estimate that total benefit annual benefit that flows every year because of the historic investment in the TAFE system at $92.5 billion every year.
0: Karina Haythorpe, the Federal President of the Australian Education Union that represents TAFE workers, spoke at a webinar recently put on by the Australia Institute called Why TAFE is Critical for the Future of Australia.
3: So vocational education is going to be critically important Um, to support the millions of workers who've lost their jobs currently or who are likely to do so in the near future. And our significant concern is that while the Morrison government has a lot to say about skills and VET, um, they simply fail to recognise the important role that TAFE has uh, in rebuilding the economy, in providing vocational education for thousands and thousands um, of Australians there was no mention of TAFE in the federal budget last year, and there's been no significant recognition of TAFE um, in the government's COVID uh, response. Um, once again, the Interim Productivity Commission's report recently it was also gravely concerning as it focuses on favouring private providers, increasing contestability, student loans and vouchers, and really fundamentally fails to ensure TAFE's future as the public provider of vocational education. And I think. Um, That's a clear indication of further policy and and funding funding, uh, vandalism for TAFE. Um, Importantly, this report uh, highlights the fact that the the VET sector requires urgent rebuilding to ensure that it can support new skills acquisition, uh, job creation and opportunity, including for those people who've been hardest hit by the crisis, and that there's an urgent need. I think this is a really important recommendation, an urgent need for a comprehensive, Public led reconstruction program that invests in the skills and vocational education of workers and young people and that 's very very welcome news for our members because they see firsthand the impacts of these cuts a forty percent decline in TAFE institutes nationally staff reductions with increased workloads a loss of investment uh, in infrastructure such as state of the art facilities and up to date IT um, and technical and admin equipment and um, Indeed, if we're looking at the social purpose, you know, that strong social purpose to pay for the public good, the impact of closures in particular is felt very deeply in rural, regional and remote locations, where that provision of vocation is just so critically important for the local community, much less likely to be provided um, by private providers, because they tend to prefer the cheap, make a quick profit um, scenario. So TAFE is the only institution um, with the infrastructure, the workforce and the trusted reputation uh, to be able to provide the high-quality vocational education qualifications that we need today to help um, not only recover from COVID crisis but um, really for our future. And it must be supported to do, so, to do this.
0: That's it for Stick Together Today. If you want to catch up with our program, the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or on iTunes, or on Spotify, and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you, and until next time, stick together and keep safe.